Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today is a leading global specialist in technology, innovation and organisational growth, leveraging data, analytics, artificial intelligence and digital capabilities to transform businesses and create new products and services. But before we get into that, here is a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by KPMG. In today's ever-changing climate, agility and flexibility are essential to maintain, grow and understand in an uncertain world. Whatever challenges your organisation is facing, we can help maximise opportunity while minimising risk, both today and for the future. Future success means being connected to customers, to market dynamics and digital signals, to employees, to channel and business partners and aligning across the front, middle and back offices. We'll help you to align, to serve the customers better and deliver greater return on investment. With deep sector insight and the latest thinking, KPMG Connected Enterprise provides a sustainable, risk-optimized route and strategy through execution with the tools, methods, frameworks and solutions your organization needs to succeed in today's turbulent world. KPMG Connected Enterprise can offer you an insight-driven, digitally-enabled roadmap to efficiency and agility that delivers sustainable growth to your organization today and tomorrow. Start your digital transformation journey now with KPMG Connected Enterprise. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Eddie Short is a proven executive level chief data technology and analytics officer. His experience spans across multi industries and he has worked across the globe. Eddie has held several senior roles, including but not limited to vice president of Capgemini, lead EMEA partner for KPMG, where he led the global data and analytics initiative, chief data and analytics officer for Aon, and chief data and technology officer for the British American Tobacco Company, where he led a £1 billion portfolio of global IT-enabled transformation projects. Highly skilled in IT, Eddie has been described by many as an astute and truly visionary leader who can forge strategic thoughts and make them reality. He's also applauded for his global thought leadership work and is said to have the necessary and right skills to be a successful chief data officer. Today, Eddie continues his role as a CDO, ensuring growth, risk management, and cost efficiencies for his organization. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eddie to this episode of his talk. Many thanks for being with us today, Eddie. It's a pleasure to be here, Elaine. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I'm really glad to have you here today, Eddie, and particularly glad by the comments made by some of your peers and staff around the role as a CDO, Chief Data Officer, because that's what I want to talk to you about today. The CDO role is a fairly young C-level role. It has morphed over the years. Originally, it was more of a, an enforcement role, ensuring data quality, industry standards, etc. With the advent of the digital revolution and the digital economy, the role of the CDO is more transformational and at the heart of any business and digital transformation. Many companies have consciously brought in the role of the CDO with a view to make more data-driven decisions effectively be a data-driven organization. This, however, is the first step. Eddie, how does the organization go about decentralizing data access so that it is available for all units to make informed decisions rather than, say, intuition-based decisions? 
but also, uh, and this is important, how do they, the CDOs, not become what effectively happens in many organizations, the librarian of the data that gives limited access and have long-winded processes in order for the units to retrieve relevant data. This behavior does not create a, an agile data access form and doesn't meet the requirements of, say, decentralizing data access. How is this done effectively? How do they not forget their mandate? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's uh, absolutely critical, Elaine. I mean, and I think of um, the CDRL as two, the yin and yang are data and analytics, basically. It's uh, all well and good having all great data, but it's really what you do with it, uh, which is the analytical insight, and, and combining the two capabilities together is fundamental. Um, I think uh, most organizations uh, back in the days when uh, you'd say, data was particularly young it focused on the technology of just centralizing data and having the mega data warehouse which evolved into the data lake um, and uh, that was never always that satisfactory because it was it was all about control um, and you ended up with pockets of data springing up and spreadsheets all over the organization so it is important that you you say democratize your data you've got to make it available you've got to bring and ownership across the organization um, and uh, what I increasingly use is what we call a hub and spoke model mm -hmm. you want to have um, expertise and particularly analytical expertise distributed around the organization but working to the same standards governance and tools as the center but you really need to incentivize people to bring their data so that you can have what you have know, been called for many years the single versions of truth mm. because um, um, whether it's uh, unstructured data, whether it's structured data, you need to be able to rely on it because as soon as you can't rely on it, people will start to get their own data. So it's having the forums and fora that bring your people together from across the organization, ensuring they can work together with standards and governance, but really incentivizing them around the value of data. And I think that's increasingly that evolves the CDO's roles from not yeah, you know, not just being under custodian of the data, but it's it's really what we helping the organisation to say what we're going to do with that data, how far we're going to do, what are the right questions in terms of generating real business value from the data, and if you can do that, that's when you really balance balance the role, and and um, you also incentivise people to come together because they can see the whole. There are synergies from bringing the capabilities together, but as I said in a more of a hub and spoke model rather than a completely centralized or completely decentralized mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, for that. Um, my next question, I think you've answered some of it, but I'm going to ask you to expand on it. And I, I, I like when you touched about ensuring reliability of the data, because that will seize what, you know, we've seen in the past, the sort of the silo hoarding of data in say IT or sales. So, and this question I've asked, um, in a previous episode, but I really would like your, your CDO um, angle on this. There's obviously a culture change that is required among staff and management, etc. How do you begin to implement and put in place a data-driven, data-enabled culture and make it work? Well, that's, that's a, a really good, um, and I say almost like the um, essence of the challenge we face because mm -hmm. People want to be data-driven, but it's saying the point of it, it's they need to trust, quote, the organization's data rather than just their own data because um, we are um, 
we uh, we are uh, we, we we trust what we know, so we need to be confident that we know the organisation. I think you've also got to balance the kind of governance. So you do need to have representation from across the business, not just in IT, but from across the organisation in terms of ownership of that data and really the decisions around that data. And you have to balance it between value, risk, and I suppose protecting data. I mean, we've all seen the incidents of um, data being um, stolen and misappropriated identity theft. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the CDO isn't necessarily the, the uh, needs to be working in partnership with IT and technology around security of data. I don't necessarily think the CDO is responsible for cyber security, for example. Um, but if you look at the reg- legislation like GDPR, then effectively it's all wrapped up in the same legislation. Mm-hmm. Is um, that protection of data as well as the governance of data. So um, we, we do need to balance the legal and the requirements of the data protection officer and the chief information security officer. Yeah. So one we're working in legal and governance, one working probably in IT with the CDO's role of actually generating value from the organization. And, and I think, again, probably the art of the, of the role is to make that um, a value creating exercise and balance that kind of, and as I call it, risk of performance, two sides of the same data, um, so that people can see actually if you, you know, a bit like classic uh, quality management, if you, if you follow the quality processes, you end up with better data and you actually end up with more value and it actually becomes the more effective way of working. That's, those are the kind of journeys and, and I use the journey for things like total quality management and Six Sigma as part of techniques for actually bringing people together in terms of just and applying them in data so that people can see you know doing the right things doesn't necessarily mean that you can actually reduce the value if anything you increase the value of the data so i'm also getting from what you said that then there needs to be a very good working relationship between the cso as well as the cdo in order to ensure the this is on the data side to ensure the value and yes the protection of data that's what i'm getting from you Absolutely. I think they're critical relationships and if you, um, depending on the um, yeah, organisational structure you've got, CTO, CSO, CSO and CDO may well be in different parts of the, mm-hmm. of the operating model. Uh, if you are a tech firm, probably your CTO is on the board. If you're uh, uh, and your CSO may well report to them, depending on other, other operating models, the CDO may be you know, the, the senior figure, but I think it's kind of, um, it is forming that right uh, working re- and partnership and working together, stakeholder management and relationships. I still think whatever happens with technology, um, people are still critical and, and relationships are still critical to actually make, make yeah. these things work. Okay. Um, I'm glad you talked about reporting lines because I, I want to move on to that. And I'd like your view on that. Um, Fundamentally, you need data to become a digital business and an intelligent enterprise. Organizations have been moving in that direction, but COVID has expedited this in some quarters. The role of the CDO is no longer, say, embedded under the CFO or the COO. Now more than ever, the CDOs have a seat at the executive table. How has this changed executive dynamics and business relationships? Would you say now it is essential for all CDOs to be positioned alongside, say, the CFOs, COOs, CIOs even? And should they be at the table where the big budget decisions at the highest level are made? Give us examples where this is vital. 
Well, I think if you, I mean, it is vital. If you look at um, the, the classic um, Google, Facebook, um, uh, Netflix, etc. you know, we talk about them being digital companies and technology companies, but as I look at it, their first, second, and third sort of orders of competitive advantage are data, data, and data. You know? So um, I think it, it does come down to uh, how strategic is this for your organization? Um, um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's always there's going to be increasingly a kind of um, um, tension with the CFO because their, their function is always controlled of the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how the organization performs. And I think uh, CDOs need to work very closely with CFOs and it be because we are more about, I would say, democratizing the numbers rather than controlling. So I think that's, uh, you know, finance often has that controlling function, which can actually uh, uh, almost uh, can diminish you know, risk-taking and reduce it, whereas we need to democratize that. I think, um, you know, it, if... The role of the CDO, point, point, putting down to my, what I said earlier, if you have a, you say a hub and spoke model, you can have a CDO on the board. I think it's difficult for a CDO to be truly uh, a board member if they have, if they have all the operational delivery, because mm. then they're uh, then they're kind of duplicating, potentially duplicating functions with COOs and CIOs. So you can have a strategic function at the board because it could be one of those. Uh, but um, again, as I said, it comes down to how, how important it is, how strategic is it in, in, in your journey? Do you want to be quote, truly a leader through data and creating more mm -hmm. data-driven products? Or really are you looking at using your data to quote, uh, maintain um, competitive parity rather than being quote, a, a true leader? Mm. Okay, um, let's continue um, talking about data. Um, we will touch upon COVID-19 specific issues later. In fact, we cannot avoid it. Um, but data, as you've mentioned, and I will talk further about that, data and data analytics are interchangeable. The big tech companies such as Google and Facebook are all about data. Data is the new oil, as they say. They need data. Our personal data, for example, is turned into money. Data is increasingly lucrative for organizations to legally pass on, resell, etc. Companies are, are now looking and trying to assess the monetary value of their data. What does that entail? Can you give my listeners examples of the, the complications of this? What are the pitfalls and successes of turning your data into revenue? Yeah, well, I think it's, the question is, is, is it your data? And I think that's always the thing. That what um, Google, Facebook and others have been remarkably good at is... Um, they offer as the customer, consumer, free services on the back of a contract, which basically allows them to um, take our data and make it their data. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the um, yeah. Whereas if you look at most corporate entities, um, we have a, a paid-for model, um, and there is a is 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 this kind of dichotomy of you know people will sign up to a. A Google contract because they get something for free and they never, uh, rarely if ever read the 50-page contract. Um, whereas uh, if if you're um, you say if you're either Telefonica or you're um, if you're HSBC or you're Deutsche Bank, um, or you, know, you you find yourselves basically uh, consumers are far more discerning mm. and far more 
reluctant, I think, to share their data because they're actually already paying for a service. They're not getting anything for free. So that's, um, that is a challenge. And in, in doing so, um, yeah, I think most companies, most tradition, traditional corporates of many shame have been trying to monetize their data for five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and most have done a very, I'd say a very poor job, but um, the reality is in terms of moving the dial in terms of their profit and loss, uh, it's yeah, most of, yeah, it's mainly been single digit percentage mm-hmm. in terms of products and services. Um, and um, that's, yeah, that, that is very difficult. And it, gets, it comes back to that question, whose data is it? Right. Have you already created, created insights and you've, you've already taken data from a customer, anonymized it, uh, you can use it in um, ways that means that uh, it actually has been, quote, manu- I would say manufactured in your organization, so you don't own um, earnest to your original consumer, mm-hmm. or do you need their support in doing that? Um, and I think that's the challenge for, for, for many organizations, is just saying, um, how, how do we uh, disaggregate enough so we can actually create something that is a data uh, product or a data-enabled product, which people will actually pay for. Um, and um, I think in terms of, um, in the world that I'm in now, telecoms, you know, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of data has been used for creating, you'd say, mobile services for things like um, uh, satellite navigation, for example, you know, because we're all, traveling around motorways and auto routes and uh, you can spot jams uh, you know, traffic jams and, and, and issues and, and share data but will people actually pay for it real-time traffic updates are provided by sort of aggregation of mobile phone data and mm-hmm. um, we have data about where people uh, are moving and you can quote potentially sell that data to, to um, other organizations to say well do you know, for example <laughs> in the uh, pre or post COVID world, when people do stop at motorway restaurants, or their, their movement data is really important to say, you know, what kind of customers are they? Uh, uh, will they be attracted by the demographic that I'm offering to? So, people will pay in certain circumstances, but um, it has it is a big dichotomy between the phenomenal revenues that say Google and Facebook have made, largely from selling our data to advertisers, mm-hmm. versus what we can actually make as truly data driven products from quotes our data because often it's just not our data um still stay on data um because data is increasingly visible and tangible to an organization and are there new forms of insurances in place for organizations in case of no loss of data data becoming corrupt data cloned data theft yeah i think they're starting to emerge it's very difficult for insurers i mean certainly when i was working at aon um, mm-hmm. you're looking at um brokerage of um yeah so what can you do i mean you kind of you look at um the losses that potentially are out there in terms of cyber um and they can be disproportionate to um because uh, they can be quote punitive damages so it's difficult to get complete insurance against that um uh, that kind of service but uh, i think in terms of creating data products it's possible to create um uh, insurance about whether this product's going to make revenue for you um, but uh, it is definitely very 
very emerging because it's kind of yeah it's almost like not quite uncapped liabilities because even gdpr and talks about four percent of turnover but um it's difficult for an insurer to assess the um, a broker and underwriter to actually assess the actual risk um, and put an, an, um, a value on it to actually provide you with a with a, um, a service. So I haven't seen too much avail- availability yet, mm. um, but I think it's something that they're desperately keen to work on. Right. So I think watch this space basically. Yeah. Um, let's move back to the the the, the role of the CDO. Um, what is the secret ingredient to becoming a successful CDO? And what does success look like to the business? And once CDO has described it as, you need to create a narrative. Um, describe to the business what you want to do with that data. You must have the ability to take people on a journey with you to win hearts and minds, to effectively get buy-in. You need to be credible at what you do, especially if you're putting together new visions or new strategy. And you need a lot of luck. Would you agree? You also mentioned communication skills and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but what what's what's your take on that? Yeah, I think um, probably yeah. Look is is um, um, a good one. I think um, for me, uh, strategy strategy and planning skills are, are important. To that point, I like the analogy of uh, creating a narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think the the other thing is it's it's. It, it's kind of typical of any kind of initiative, but you need to create a classic thing of quick wins. Mm-hmm. Um, um, when I into my current in my current role, the CEO said to me, "You're the fifth person in seven years sitting in your seat," mm-hmm. um, and it didn't didn't bode well for the predecessors. Uh, and I'm still here, um, but um, it's because making it tangible for people you know as i said it's kind of easy to talk about google and facebook you can see revenues you can see advertising maybe those guys worked without any revenue for a considerable time um and therefore quick wins become really important Uh, and i use analogy seeing is believing we could talk about powerpoints and presentations and podcasts um but um really powerful is showing people something that they haven't seen before from their data and that storytelling which come back to the narrative to to be able to rapidly draw a line of sight in an organization strategically from you know some initial analysis of data through to this could uh, through to revenue either actual new bottom line revenue or actual cost savings or um improvements in effectiveness which which you're then quote partnering with another executive to deliver real value because i think the cdo role you know it's difficult to create revenue on your own mm-hmm. you need to create that with um, other parts of the organization so being in partnership finding some friends as they're delivering some quick wins and convincing your friends to stand up with you and mm-hmm. say we together are confident we can do this to the bottom line or the top line or both um, and initially for a relatively modest amount of investment ramping up as you and once you actually deliver value then securing more investment is becomes the le- least of your problems i think that's um uh, but uh, yeah there has been a quote you um, um you talked about the new oil i, I describe mm-hmm. data as a bit like um panning for gold there's an awful lot of silt or crap that you've got <laughs> before you find any real, real nuggets yeah. and so i think that there's partly that look element but actually 
know where to look, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, bringing in a few small nuggets can actually earn you a, a lot of um, a lot of time and um, uh, and support because ultimately. Um, quick wins can be done quickly, but ultimately transformative implementing yeah. solutions which deliver you know, take two, three, four years. So it's kind of you need to buy yourself time. As I said, the the, the CDO that describes a successful CDO is he or she takes people on the journey. I want you to take us on the journey um, right now, and we're moving now into the COVID nineteen space. Can you give my listeners an account of your experiences being a CDO during this pandemic? I'm sure there are many stages to it. Just walk us through it. Yeah, well, I think um, at the outset we were a, a lot of focus was having done some done some the quick win part and laid out my strategy and journey. Mm -hmm. We had some significant long term investments, um, but uh, one of the uh, immediate challenges with COVID was um, the need for real time insights and real time information. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and real-time performance information, and certainly in our business, that was um, that was a novelty. We kind of had weekly updates, and a lot of things were really done monthly still. But you know, we day, daily was in real time. That was um, new news, and what we suddenly had was a proliferation of the uh, what I talked about earlier. Lots of people with their spreadsheets coming up with uh, this this performance metric, that performance metric. Uh, and so the first few weeks of the crisis was very much almost uh, reinventing the kind of um, the governance and control over over the insights in our organisation, but also ramping up more trusted, quotes real time data for for the board in terms of how our performance was tracking in a, in a you know, this kind of unique, unprecedented circumstances. That's um, that's what I found as kind of the the real, the real challenge was just a, a, a frenzy and thirst for you know, for knowledge, um, and again, you know, getting it from all over the place uh, because people could see what you know, yeah. Whilst um, governments yeah. are obviously focused on the protection of, of society, obviously CEOs are focused very much on the protection of their companies, um, and they could a lot of them could see, um, yeah. At best, a, a dramatic reduction in revenues. At worst, you have a um, uh, catastrophic uh, risks to the actually survival of the business. So that real-time need for performance was basically top of mind, and it was a, a frenzy those first few weeks just to just to put our hands on it in, in a way that we could actually continue to run the organisation in a safe and trusted way. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine with this this COVID, the challenges that are involving in in terms of what we know, it's still going on. <laughs> so we're still, yeah, we know what we need to know and what data needs to be obtained and what needs to be communicated. I mean, it must be a very, very trying time for CDOs. Um, in this climate of uncertainty, what do you prioritize in terms of data? What do you distinguish between what's needed and what's not? What is the process? I mean, you, you talked about how you would define it as finding gold nuggets and silt around it. I suppose, that is a that's a process you're doing constantly, isn't it? It is. It is constantly doing it. I think um, it's you almost have to do everything at um, a much faster pace because, yeah, in in these climates where first thing you want is more real time reporting, and obviously some organisations already have that, but certainly ours didn't have that. Then you need to have more real time feedback because it's like, well, what can we try to 
stabilize revenue, stabilize sales? What we can we do to drive more sales online? So we have, uh-huh. As a business, we have a big retail out, out organization. So how can we drive more sales online? Secondly, how can we serve our customers? Because we have a lot of call centers, contact centers, and a lot of those were out of action because people could go to offices to be in contact centers. So how, how, how do we provide um, the capabilities to allow, quote, uh, a, a contact center workforce to be working remotely when then? Um, and you said the concept of test and learn it's mm. just become instead of having a week or a month to test something, you literally yeah. got a couple of days to try something out to see, and then looking for that real time feedback because we were launched, we'd launched a number of new initiatives, and mm. you just really focus on do we pull the plug on it, do we continue with it? Um, you know, it's um, yeah, but yeah, it's really driving the feedback loop faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to up our analytical algorithms to get better at predicting based on short time, short time scales. So um, it's um, uh, I'm quite saying yeah, this is where the luck comes in because it depends on how good your algorithms are yeah. in terms of can you trust them. Uh, and I suppose that's why you hear that term all the time: the unprecedented nature of everything. Um, we're we're staying with COVID. Um, we have been told. We've read about it and even seen the devastating toll on businesses as a result of COVID-19. There is also the opposite effect. In a recent conversation with a, a veteran in the management consulting business, we talked about businesses having to scale up in a short space of time. Um, please tell my audience how vital the role of the CDO is in such a situation and what is done. Well, yeah, I think... Um it's, you kind of got a lot of scaling up and a lot of scaling down. I think um, it does come back to um, the CDO working in partnership, I think, with the CFO mm-hmm. in terms of um, helping the organization um, in terms of reporting and driving performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, I think uh, in- increasingly forecasting using significant, significant predictive prescriptive models to look at um, um, you know, genuinely, where can where where can we move the dial on the organisation, and there, what what does that mean for us in terms of skills and capabilities we need? Because it's one thing to say we've got potential opportunity, but then it's also um, then linking in: can we actually bring the, bring to bear the resources to rapidly scale up for that opportunity? Um, and I think one of the uh, things that's been neglected in a lot of organisations, but less so again in the tech world, is sort of people analytics, looking at how you can um, yeah, reorganize your workforce dynamically and um, uh, re- reuse skills that truly work in an agile way mm-hmm. um, uh, and using analytics around people to look at, at optimizing productivity and performance and um, given the resources you have. Clearly, in this world, suddenly a lot of resources did become, could become available, but also there's a huge amount of nervousness about pulling in resources from outside the organization in these very uncertain times. So how can you optimize your existing workforce to get the most out of them is, is really quite critical. And I think, yeah, CDOs working with HR as well as finance becomes um, um, uh, part of the keys to success. You know, just listening to you and what you've said through the course of discussion, it is clear that the data function is an integral part of the whole organization and actually it can be described as the nerve center, interacting with the business, IT, 
HR, as you mentioned, financials, the processes, accounts, client team, and um, pretty much being the lifeline of the organization. So, Eddie Short, many thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Ellen. Appreciating it. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.